Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome, everybody. It's another day to change the world. Today's episode is with someone I call an ambassador for humanity. His name is Adam Sadiq. He's a good friend of mine. And I've seen what he does in terms of making contributions to uh, to the world in a positive way, how he promotes love, how he promotes togetherness, how he promotes family. And we get to talk about all that. He just co-wrote a fascinating book called Shackwood with his grandfather. And it details his grandfather's journey from being imprisoned for over 20 years and how he was able to navigate that and turn that imprisonment into an education opportunity. It's a true story of of the power of what we can do as humans. And just a reminder that we are more than enough. And I really love the conversation we had. It's about, you know, 50 minutes-ish, but it's really, really worth it. So I hope you enjoy it. And please, please, please remember to put a smile on five people's faces. Yes, I said it. All right, go enjoy the episode. In a world where very few people embrace their global identity and seek to understand their neighbors, cross-cultural expert Tayo Roxon is on a mission to bridge this divide. Each week, he'll open your mind with insights from some of the global minds in the world. Get ready, take some notes, and learn how to be the best you that you can be. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads. And today's guest is a friend of mine, but also uh, a very much a legend in making, if he's not a legend already. His name is Adam Sadiq, and he's a creative storyteller and writer. He's the author of Shackled, A Journey from Political Imprisonment to Freedom, which tells the story of his grandpa overcoming great adversity. 20 years of political imprisonment starting at the age of six. Wow. He's the host of the Soulfully Optimized Life podcast, a huge fan of a great Sufi poet called, I'm going to butcher his name, but Jaluddin Muhammad Baki, popularly known as Rumi. Many of you do know Rumi. And he's a lover of mysteries of the cosmos and consciousness. Welcome to the show, Adam. Thank you, Tayo. Thank you so much. The pleasure is mine, man. You, you, are, you are a very much uh, enlightened individual. I, knew, I know from the moment I've met you, the conversations we always have are, they're always deep, you know, philosophical type of things. And it makes um, a lot of sense why Rumi is someone that you are um, inspired by. But take me back to the beginning. You know, like when you, when you first knew what you wanted to do, what was that like? Totally. All right. Let's see. I'm a, I'm going to jump back way, way, way back for a moment. Um, so my parents, uh, they immigrated from Afghanistan over here. Uh, uh, well, my dad was first to Germany. My mom was here in uh, LA and they met over here later on. <clears throat> and then I'm, I'm the first product of their, their union. And so I, you know, I grew up, uh, I grew up pretty much just in the Afghan community here in California. Uh, so I didn't really understand or fit into American culture at all. I didn't really start learning English till I was six, but, um, what really got me into the culture in the beginning was, uh, like, uh, I guess as funny as it sounds, it was Pokemon. Mm. Um, one day I just saw a, a kid. He, uh, he had a Lunchables box and on the back of the box. Uh, there was a, like, like a, kind of like a, one of those, like, push out kind of school cardboard square kind of cards. They had some promotion going on with Pokemon at the time. Yeah. 
and it was a Blastoise. And then he also had a Blastoise Pokemon card, and he showed it to me. And, you know, I don't really speak English at all at this point, and I thought it was the coolest thing. So I looked at the name. I saw it said Pokemon. Like, I went right away and, like, asked my mom if I could go to Toys R Us and buy buy some Pokemon cards. And that led me on to eventually, by the time I was seven and eight years old, uh, starting a business. I was selling Pokemon cards on eBay. I had an eBay store for it. And I was doing consulting uh, for people. You could call it consulting. I didn't even know what the word consulting meant back then. But, <laughs> like, I was just helping out people with uh, getting uh, rare Pokemon in the game and, like, getting hacks. Like, they can get infinity rare candies, which, if anyone remembers that, uh, it's like one rare candy levels your Pokemon up by one level. So I was able to help them out. So they get all their Pokemon maxed out to the highest level. And, uh, and I'd get paid like five bucks for it or a couple batteries so I can keep playing my own Game Boy. Um, the reason I bring this up is like I knew back around here beforehand, just watching my dad and everything and grandpa, so that I wanted to do something that involved, uh, entrepreneurship. Actually, one of the earliest journal entries I wrote was that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. The first one I wrote was I wanted to be a Pokemon master. I knew my priorities, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but I also knew that I wanted to be a writer and I used to, I used to actually write books. I used to write poetry and I also used to write, um, books about dinosaurs and I would sell them. And so like, I had all these like little entrepreneurial adventures from the age of about five or six up to like nine or 10. But and I was still like trying things out in middle school, but back around then I, I pretty much knew that uh, whatever I was going to do is going to be uh, through service as an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. and that uh, I just loved writing. But I never I never really at the time thought that you know I could be a a professional writer or an author. Um, I just kind of was like, oh, this is fun. I, I make a couple bucks here. But anyway, you fast forward. Um, and uh, sophomore year of college for me, when I was 19 years old, um, from like the second day of me moving into my, my home with my roommates, uh, I started having these intense, vivid, lucid dreams. I mean, so vivid to the point where like, I still remember this one dream I had. And I, in the dream, I was the combination of Superman and Batman. Ooh. So I had like... I had a Batman outfit with a Superman cape, <laughs> and I was, I was, but I was flying with the Superman. I was flying like Superman with the, you know, the the one fist out and the other one kind of like uh, pulled back position. Yeah. Um, and I, I felt like I was flying like hundreds of miles per hour, and I in the dream like tears were flowing down my cheeks, and like I woke up because tears were flowing down my cheeks, not because I was like I was like crying or any kind of emotion, but literally because my body registered it as me flying through the air at like two or 300 miles per hour. And so I always say that because it was super vivid. Like I felt like I lived the dreams and all these dreams. And like over like the course of like three months, I was like really documenting all my dreams. I wrote them all into like a composition journal and I noticed a pattern with them all, even the ones with like Superman and stuff. And uh, the pattern was I felt that, there was a bigger message being conveyed to me through my dreams. And the message was to leave college, uh, ditch the traditional academic system, pack up a backpack and go and travel around the world and gain a real world kind of education uh, where I learn from everything from that life offers, plus a variety of mentors in different areas and fields uh, you mentioned that you, you had just interviewed Jay Abraham beforehand. I actually found out about Jay at this time, not knowing that uh, Jay's son and I went to high school and he was hanging out with my roommate sometimes. <laughs> I didn't I didn't connect the dots, but it was kind of interesting how it worked out. But that was like one of the biggest inflection points of my life when I was 19. And so I did drop out of college. Um, I had acquired like a number of mentors in my life, be it virtually or be it people who were actually I was just checking in with on the regular uh, via email or phone calls or Skype and uh, just learning from them. And I kind of went out and I just started experiencing everything for my, for myself and, and wanting to uh, grow and develop myself to be 
the best man I could be. That was, that was really the, the main focus for that. And from there, I started blogging and writing a lot. And that leads up to, to now is uh, I really started that writing journey like about seven years ago, um, 2011. And I today, like I, I've had articles featured on, on pretty much every major publication. Um, I have, uh, I now have this book that I've, I've written alongside my grandpa. Um, I've been fortunate to be able to interview, you know, some of the, the world's greatest leaders and entrepreneurs like, uh, Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, Seth Godin, Jack Canfield, and a wide variety of other people. Um, and, uh, it's it, it, the, just trying to like paint the picture of like the, the starting point for there. Hmm. Wow. It, it, I love your story. And I, and I, you know, there are many things I want to unpack there. So when you said Pokemon was sort of that, your first really experience with, with connecting with people, yep. I'm, I'm, I always love those type of stories because, you know, a lot of people that come on the show, a lot of people that are fans of the, of the podcast are people that, in a sense, identify with several cultures. And at one point in their <laughs> lives, they felt like the minority or the outsider. And yeah. you've, you felt like that a lot. I felt like that a lot often as okay. well. So I'm curious if you can extrapolate from that lesson. How do you feel like in today's world of, of globalization and, and, and diversity, how can people who feel like outsiders make themselves uh, feel like um, they're part of something? Totally. Well, so... I really like your slogan, use your difference to make a difference. Right. I right. think I, I highly recommend everyone to embrace that difference. But to connect with other people, um, I actually believe that now more than ever, despite what you see on the media or like CNN and stuff like this, I feel like more than ever today, different is sexy. Mm. And I, I think that uniqueness is what's being celebrated more and more. And so I actually think as contradictory as this might sound, I think the best way to uh, feel like you're a part of a bigger thing is to be 100% you. I and I feel that. that, and I feel people will recognize that authenticity because like we look at a rainforest and a rainforest has so much biodiversity, yeah. you know, so much, so much. And just one little, like one little acre of a rainforest is ridiculous mm-hmm. how much diversity is in there, but it's, all of life there is flourishing. It's flourishing. It's flourishing more than, you know, other, in other climates. And I think it's flourishing because of this, this radical diversity. So I'm, I'm a huge, um, I'm a huge subscriber to the uh, notion of be you, be all of you, you know, every, every different shade of you, every different part of you, um, everything of you. Because I feel like when when we can be ourselves 100%, we acknowledge the uniqueness that's part of the bigger web of life, and so does the web of life. And and I feel like that's that's one of the biggest gifts that we can give to the world. It's just 100% you. Love that message so much. I love it. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, be 100% yourself. That's what's truly sexy. Okay. All right, Adam. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Um, your grandfather, uh, we're going to dive yep. into the book. Your grandfather is an inspirational man. Um, and I, I say this, one of the reasons I even connect with the story beyond the fact that he's just remarkable is my, when I was, um, you know, you know, Pokemon was like that for you. I grew up in two military dictatorships in Nigeria and, you know, in the state of chaos, I was looking for heroes and Nelson Mandela was mine, right? The late yeah. Nelson Mandela. And he spent Absolutely. 27 years in jail. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm listening. I'm listening to your grandfather's story. I'm listening. I'm like, man, these two um, figures of, of history are, are I, just astonishing to me. And how you find a way to really be symbols of humanity, even after being in prison for so long. So, talk about the book. Talk about what you've learned from the book, and how people can actually um, find out more. I will get the book. Absolutely. Thank you. So yeah, a little bit about the book. Um, this book. So I wrote this book over the course of about four years, uh, but I knew I wanted to write it for about eight years, mm-hmm. seven and a half years, I'd say, with my grandpa. Uh, I first heard my grandpa's story when I was six years old, and I remember, you know, sitting uh, sitting down on the uh, living room, 
and my my grandparents were there and uh, both sides both grandparents and then i had like some aunts and uncles there and it was just a bunch of family kind of came over and my grandpa was uh telling somebody about you know some time in in his life story and i was just kind of paying attention i was listening and and that's when i found out that when my grandpa was six years old he was imprisoned and i'm there i'm six years old i'm like kind of like crawling around the floor you know pretending i'm some pokemon <laughs> as i'm listening to this story and i instantly like instant shockwave hit me and i was just like i have no problems in life I just knew, and like from that day on, I just knew no matter what I face, there's no problems. And I knew because I looked at as my grandpa was telling the story, and like right after, like he's like telling some jokes and he's laughing. I'm like, he's so optimistic and so joyful and and so kind and loving that, uh, it, and he did, like not a single ounce of complaining comes from, you know, all the horrors he'd faced. And I just was like, if, if that's what his approach is to life, you know, like I don't have any problems. Yeah. And that because of that, because of uh, that one experience there, it's, it has shaped it's, you know, it's shaped my entire life. It literally uh, it's made me in the face of any kind of challenge or adversity to uh, it's always been kind of like a, a, a beacon of light for me and always a reminder that uh optimism is always an opportunity you know we can always make an opportunity out of out of anything that comes uh that's kind of my grandpa's message is like you we always have the opportunity to make an opportunity out of anything yeah and um yeah yeah so that that that's like the very early inception point that i i just knew that this was something very very important for me to discover more of and by the time i was in high school um I, my grandpa had, had written his memoirs and they're in Farsi and uh, I couldn't read Farsi and I was like, you know, I really want to read your book. And he said, I'm translating to English. I'll give you the first copy. So over the course of like the next year or two, he would, he would visit. I'd always ask him, is the book ready? He's like, no, 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 it's taking time. And then his, his book was translated, his memoirs were translated in English. And I was like, I was really excited to finally dive into my grandpa's story only to realize that the translator had failed to communicate so much, like pretty much the entirety of the emotion that goes into the story. And I had also pretty much like left out like an entire 100 page chunk of the history. And, and that really bothered me. Uh, so I just said, you know what? I want to write the book with you. I know there's a slight language barrier because his, his English isn't 100% fluent as much when it comes to speaking. And, uh, He's still very, very fluent. He's actually better speaking than my dad. And, uh, and my Farsi, I'd, I'd forgotten my Farsi when I adapted into American culture. So, um, but I could understand a, a decent amount of it. So we started writing, uh, I started interviewing him and I started writing everything down. And over the course of a couple of years, I, I ended up with this book and, um, what what really took me gave me a greater incentive to write the book, actually, um, and this uh, this is going to just kind of go a step deeper. Is I started uh, somewhere around the time that I really started writing the book a lot, uh, or when I took it like full, I don't call it. I, I made it like a bigger priority. Um, I was I was getting involved with. Uh, some type of modality called network spinal analysis is developed by Donnie Epstein. And I started going to some of his programs and started learning more about the nervous system and more about, uh, human development and, and epigenetics and things like this and how that affects us and how that was specifically affecting me specifically because my grandparents were imprisoned. And so, um, I learned how, uh, and this is just kind of, this has kind of been more of an evolving study over, I think, the past few decades. Um, they've, they've actually showed it with uh, Holocaust survivors that the, not their children, but their grandchildren often end up showing, uh, very similar gene expressions and having, uh, similar, like, 
health challenges related to uh, what their grandparents had faced in the Holocaust. It's almost like the genes just skipped a generation. And so when I when I found out about this, I and I found out that in a sense we can when our when we get our nervous system optimized and free from all this interference, we could in a sense rewrite the story that's been going on with our family lineage from one that has been conditioned with more of a survivalistic approach uh, due to the the heavy traumas that we face to one that's conditioned with, with love and trust and abundance in, in the universe as, and so that's when I really started taking it to, uh, to, uh, with a greater focus. And so, um, as a result, uh, my family and I, we all started getting more involved with the care. I noticed that this was actually helping my grandpa remember more of the depths of what his experiences were and um, and liberate a lot of the emotional pain that was kind of uncovered that he almost kind of forgotten about. And so as I'm writing this book, you can almost see it as like our family was uh, was healing together to create Create, create a new story for all the future generations. And there's a number of really trippy stories that come out of that just alone. But um, the overall gist of the this book that I've written in my grandpa's life is, yeah, he was six years old when he was imprisoned. It uh, lasted for 20 years. It happened after a grand betrayal took place um, with the one person who took the throne as opposed to the, the king returning after a civil war. And the, the reason that my grandpa was involved in this situation is because my great grandfather and his brothers, they were all, um, they're all ambassadors. Uh, my great grandfather was the ambassador to Berlin. I have another great grandfather who was the ambassador to, um, Paris and Moscow. Another one was the ambassador to Ankara. And then the other one was the, uh, uh, deputy interior minister. And they're all working together with the king. But ultimately, my great-grandfather, my grandpa's father, and the king, they were best friends since they were in high school. And they had dreamed of creating a new Afghanistan. And the the reforms and, and the ideas that they had um, was basically to to build Afghanistan up and to build the East up. But to first do that, they knew that they had to get rid of the the English, uh, the British, the British were still controlling a lot of the, uh, a lot of Afghanistan. Ultimately, they controlled the trade. So the previous kings kind of like basically got a salary, but the, the British controlled the trade and that, that limited Afghanistan from being able to, to, uh, do business with other countries and develop relationships. And so, uh, there was a series of three wars that happened, three Anglo-Afghan wars. The first one happened in the 1800s. Second one happened in the late 1800s, and the last one was um, a lot with with uh, the leadership of one of my great grandfathers uh, in the army, and then the king, of course. So they they declared a new independent Afghanistan. It was uh, in August of 1919. Uh, but with these reforms, like one of the the first rules that they made was uh, the king actually his very very first edicts that he made. He, he wanted to focus on women's rights and women equality. And some of the people who were more extremist, um, to the older school style of thinking, the Middle Eastern kind of thinking, uh, they were opposed to this. Uh, and so, you know, the, there are some conflicts going on, but a lot of the people saw it as very progressive. Um, anyways, to, to, to make a, Long story short, uh, a combination of uh, British, inte- British intelligence working with uh, somebody who was uh, previously uh, part of the king's, uh, well, was it, uh, technically a general for the king, uh, alongside uh, two of the biggest religious uh, influencers in Afghanistan at the time, developed some sort of conspiracy that led to a civil war taking place. And after that civil war, uh, that once that once general ended up claiming the throne, executing and imprisoning uh, all the uh, all the elders related to anybody who was part of the 
king's uh, team and exiling anybody who was out of the country. And along that was my grandpa, who was six years old. He was in prison, but he was not even the youngest to be imprisoned. Um, one of his younger cousins was born while they were in house arrest. First year was house arrest. And she was only four months old when when they were moved to the first prison, uh, where for a week they were left without food and clean water. They had to drink like putrid water just to survive. And that was really just a will kind of thing. They were kind of lucky to, they were all really lucky to survive that. So that's like that's like a brief gist of the the build up to the the book, and then the rest of it, it covers it covers uh, everything from my grandpa's story from him being six years old when he was first imprisoned all the way up till his escape um, during the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan uh, when he is uh, fifty three at the time. But it shows it's it's very much like a personal narrative, very much first person storytelling. So it's a lot of story. However. Uh, so the political history that you see in the book is all uh, a lot of it's coming just from first person narrative at least the parts there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That, you know, he's alive from. So you get to kind of experience everything, not just what he went through and how he overcame it, um, but also what exactly happened and what are the initial rocks thrown at the wall per se that caused Afghanistan to collapse and still now be in this, uh, in this current state where there was just, there was two bombings in the past week, you know, yeah. this kind of gives you an insider look of, of what exactly happened just told as it is, um, as it's, as it happened, no, no dramatization, nothing like that. Wow, wow! It's, yeah. it's, it's it's always interesting hearing stories like that because the moment you said your grandfather was starting to remember things that he might have suppressed or didn't, you know, for some reason just managed to just forget. It, yeah. It it, 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 it it was very personal for me because it, it, that's something that I've done in the last few years, especially now that I've I've done a lot of speaking is I've had to revisit a lot of things that happened in the first nine years of my life. And there were many things that I didn't, I, I knew as they were happening, I just had chosen not to remember. And mm-hmm. when you said that, I was like, man, that is so true. Like when you go through a traumatic experience where you, you hear people die, you hear curfews, you see people um, that are losing their lives because of their opinions, a part of you as a kid just shuts that out of your mind. And sometimes yeah. people don't think like, you know, a lot of times in Nigeria, we don't really, a lot of people don't necessarily believe in therapy, but I, I mean, I'm different in that sense, but um, I haven't had therapy, but that has been therapeutic, if that makes any sense for me. Just yeah. going back. Yeah. yeah. I can, I can only even imagine that mine was just nine years. Your dad was, you know, 20 years. I can only imagine what that remembering experience was like for him. Yeah, it was, I mean, um, the, the, the main experiences, like my grandpa is super sharp when it comes to, to facts. Like he just, he wrote two history books actually. It's titled The Suppressed History of Afghanistan. It's two volumes, like over a thousand pages. But when it came to, uh, when it came to the memories that he suppressed, they're like the, they're very vivid ones. Um, they're stories you'll see in the book. A lot of them are, are like basically like, you know, being there. And seeing his 
cousin die prematurely of tuberculosis, multiple, multiple cousins, and just what that experience was like to be there, almost to go back to being, you know, a kid or a teenager, because various, various cousins died at various ages, or is the day that he, he got the note from his, uh, I'll share this real quick. Basically, they found out, so the, uh, the regime would put anybody in the family who is about 13 or 14 years old, once they entered puberty, they would send them over to the adult prison. So, you know, over here in the U S you have juvenile. Um, and, but I mean, obviously they're all wrongly imprisoned too. That's, that's one of the thing, but you have juvenile here, you know, you don't, they don't mix, they don't send anyone to an adult prison over here in the U S unless you're 18 years old. However, you know, 13, 14 years old, imagine going to a prison where, you know, over here, half of the, half of the occupants are political prisoners. The, uh, basically all of them were imprisoned just because they were part of the regime. I mean, one of the people that was imprisoned, that was one of the nearby cellmates of my grandpa, he was imprisoned because he wired a telegraph to the previous king saying, uh, congratulations, your majesty. Kabul has been conquered. The war is over. They imprisoned him just because he wired a telegraph that he was ordered to wire that's crazy. to that king. That's that's why it's like it's a ridiculous level of corruption that took over. Uh, and you know they've done, I'd say they've done a pretty good job of making sure it was not heard during the time they were there. Because you know a lot of times when someone runs the country, they can also write the history books, right? <laughs> um, um, and that's that's something that's kind of unspoken in a lot of cases. Because if you speak out and you're in that country, you end up in that cellar, you end up dead. Um, but you know, uh, obviously they're not there. We're not there, and and I'm just I got the story out. So, um, nonetheless, what I was trying to get to is that the uh, he was he was just a kid when uh, a lot of times seeing these these experiences, and my his sister and his cousin they worked out a strategy because the the kids were and you know, teenagers were sent to the adult prison but all the women teenagers and older women were kept in the women's prison um they separated men women so um the children stayed with the women too and they found out that they can sneak notes just to like do a checkup status with each other every week because the guards would take the clothes the dirty clothes parcels from the the boys and bring it over to the women's prison for the mothers to wash, dry and fold and send it back. And uh, my grandpa's sister said, wait, we can get like a piece of cloth, write something with a reed pen, which they smuggled the reed pens in there too. um, Sew it into this parcel and do it in a way where it won't rustle or make any sound. So with the guards, when they check and make sure nothing's being uh, transferred, they won't find out about it. So they had this secret way of communicating from uh, the prisons and you know one of the one of the memories that my grandpa forgot about and uh it took a, a while for him to to open up and talk about and it was very emotional for him was the day that he received a note that his older brother uh died of tuberculosis in the jail and the fact that he had not seen his older brother for years and the and and the fact that they would never find the burial site for his older brother because they just took him off and threw him out somewhere and, and buried it up. So that was, these are the kind of things that, you know, having that kind of care network spinal analysis uh, is what Donnie Epstein has taught it. Wow. It really, it really helped him and, and all of us. Uh, it was, it's painful. It's emotionally painful, but it, it, it helped, I guess, us move through it. And, and for my grandpa to kind of uncover the things that he had to push down at the time. It was just otherwise he'd be living in constant grief and terror for 20 years. And he pushed it down by not necessarily forcefully pushing it down. He just chose to focus instead on learning. And that's, that was kind of his, his way of finding light in prison is, uh, since the time he was seven years old, well, even six years old, but seven years old when they moved him from house arrest to the prison, his aunt decided to be like, Hey, I don't want to see us suffer and, and cry anymore. You know, we obviously, this is what happened and we don't know what's going to happen with our fate. We can only, all we can do is we can trust in God and that we, 
we can uh, we have to make the most of our situation. Says yeah. we can't we can't wait for everything to work out. You know, at the best, put your trust and faith that something will work out for us. But we have to make the most of our situation. So she convinced a the water carrier who was bringing in the water skin and filling up uh, the jugs of water for everybody with clean water. She convinced them when when the guards weren't paying attention to uh, to bring reed pens, ink, and and papers so they could they could actually kind of develop an underground school. But before they got to that point, they she made like a school where she got made three different teaching pods of the older kids teaching the younger kids how to read, write, and speak fluently. Uh, first with Farsi, so they learned the Farsi alphabet by using pebbles on the ground, on the dirt ground. Eventually, they upgraded to using charcoal on the wall, and then finally they were able to get some reed pens, ink, and, and papers. Uh, and so they built that school, and because of this, and because my grandpa was always focused on learning, it was literally like 16 hours a day he was learning, focused on studying, going to classes that were taught by, obviously super informal, but just taught by the the university scholars next to his cell when he was a teenager uh he left prison learning how to read write and speak six languages uh and basically in a sense you could see it as he graduated almost like a phd of literature and philosophy studying all the works of every philosopher all the works of all the great poets uh and all the great thinkers of our uh, of history and um and studying in depth the uh, literature, so that's kind of how he how he made the most of it. And that's kind of when I when I ask him like, you know, how, what was the, like? Do you what do you feel about this time that you know twenty years? A lot of time. That's like you're from six to twenty, almost almost twenty six, like twenty five. You're uh, you're put away in a jail. He's like, I wasn't put away in a jail. I was I was in a university. Wow. So that's like. You know, it, it, to me, that's just a, an example of showing that, you know, no matter what, whatever, no matter what the circumstances are in our life, you know, and there's a lot of people in this world, there's billions of people in this world experiencing horrible circumstances right now. And uh, I think the key is to make the most of it, to make the most of our circumstance and that we ultimately have the opportunity to choose what things mean to us in our lives. It's a great book that, you know, influenced me a lot. It's uh, titled Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Uh, and Viktor Frankl, he was a, an Austrian psychiatrist, but he was, he was taken into, uh, I think he was taken into Auschwitz, but he was taken into one of the most extreme, uh, Holocaust camps. And he documented and paid attention to those who made it and those who didn't. And he said the common thread behind those who made it were that they found a way to put their mind and all their focus beyond this camp and this horrible reality. They put their mind and their focus on, on a vision, and they focused on something. He said some of the people... Their vision was, you know, just being able to see their children or their grandchildren one day. Some of the other people, it was, you know, like being able to finish their university. Some of the other people, it was this or that, you know. So they all had something that they're striving towards. And again, a horrible, 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 horrible situation where basically death is, is almost certain for everybody. And, and it is a few, if you, whether, you know, you don't know if one SS officer was just going to come and take you or if, you know, you just starved to death because of the, the insignificant, or sorry, the significantly low amount of food and the horrible nutrition that was offered, um, or the diseases, any, any kind of thing could have come from any angle. Um, but he documented that man ultimately has the opportunity and, and the responsibility to give meaning to their circumstances and in giving meaning you can find your freedom wow wow in giving meaning you can find your freedom my goodness yeah. that, that, that's amazing what's the name of the book again 
Oh, that book, that's Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Nice. Viktor Frankl. Oh, my yeah. gosh. I, I, I can't wait, man. I know you're shipping me the book. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't <laughs> wait to get it, man. This is, so where can people get this book? Yeah, so right now, uh, if you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and uh, depending on which part of the world you're in, whatever the biggest book retailer is that uh, would supply books to you, um, I would check out their website because uh, the book's on pretty much every major retailer. Uh, you can just search Shackled or you can search my name, Adam Sadiq. Uh, you don't have to put the full subtitle. Shackled, it should come up. But uh, for speed, I know Amazon and Barnes & Noble are usually really fast. Um, but yeah, it's a, just, just kind of there. Audibles, it's going to be coming out on Audible next week as well. Nice, uh, at least next, next week as of this recording. Um, so what is that? Today's the 31st. It should be on Audible by like February 5th. Um, yeah. So Audible for that. And then uh, it's already on Kindle. It's on Nook. Um, it's, it's 99 cents on Nook if you have a Nook. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of the main places. You can also go to my, my website. I have a direct link to the book. I also have links to – I did this interview series with my grandpa. It's a 12-episode series. I ask him questions about – you know, everything from the first day that he was in prison to how life was before he was in prison to, you know, very specific things like how did he make it through all these years in prison to what advice would he give to other people going through difficult times to what advice would he give to governments and leaders that um, that want to do the best for their people to, you know, all sorts of different questions in there. And then I also uh, I happily welcome any questions anybody has for my grandpa. I actually want to be uh, recording video answers uh back for people so if anyone has a question for my grandpa if you have a question for my grandpa tayo i can i can get that answered <laughs> <laughs> i appreciate that so and all they can find that series on your website too adamsadiq.com yep adamsadiq.com okay all right well before we go i want to ask you um a little bit to if you can talk about your videos you also do yeah humanity is my family hashtag humanity is my family can you talk yeah. about the creation of those videos and what you learned from them because Ladies and gentlemen, these videos have amassed well over a million, one million views. They're yeah. insanely um, educational, but also artistic. So what was the process with that? And then maybe we can get more people to share. Yeah, that would be awesome. So um, basically, since I was a kid and, and actually before I could even speak English, um, I just thought every human being on this planet is my family. I literally just thought everyone was my family. And uh, as a result, you know, you, you could be two years old or three years old. I think I was three when I did this. Um, I thought the guy who drove the garbage truck was a family member. And I somehow found fascination in garbage trucks. So, you know, one day my mom uh, was looking everywhere for me and then, like, looked out the door and she sees me, you know, running butt naked after the garbage truck, like, at the end of the street <laughs> <laughs> because I just wanted to say hi. <laughs> <laughs> so I it's the the message has kind of like been in my in my blood like for in my in my bones for a long time. I didn't put the words together in that sense. And um you know, I just thought it would be kind of creative to make a, a video one day. I was like, you know what? I I really want to do a DNA test and I want to use my DNA test as an opportunity to inspire more humanity in the world. My grandpa, he named me Adam. Adam and and Farsi, uh, it means human, and it's not it's not a typical name at all. It's a very rare name for anyone to have in Farsi, just because like people are like, why why would you name a child human? It's like if my name was in English, meant human right now, it just was yeah. human. Um, and he said he picked that name because going through everything he went through in life and seeing seeing a lot of things he saw, he said we need more humans in the world. We need more humanity. So he named me that. Uh, his intention being that I. I'd be a, a bigger inspiration for humanity without me knowing that he named me this. I always kind of had this in me. And, and so I got my DNA test and, you know, if I just went with the, the typical kind of thought model that might be presented to most people of if your parents from here and your parents from here, then you're this much percent, this and this much percent, this, and if their grandparents from here, this grandparents from here, this and this. Well, for my case, uh, at least from what I knew at, at, at face value, I just I was like my parents and grandparents and so on are, are from Afghanistan. So that must mean I'm a hundred percent Afghan. But the reality is that 
there is no 100% anything and that uh, we, you know, you can have a strong, uh, like some people have like 94%, you know, uh, some, a friend of mine was like 94% European Jewish, but 6% was kind of like scattered in different areas. Mm. I feel like no matter what, we're always going to have, um, we're always going to have like a mix, a mix of ancestors. And I feel like we're all related because, um, for instance, like in my DNA test, uh, I had 0% Iberian Peninsula, 0% Africa, and 0% South America. However, if you were to do a DNA test, I'm sure you would have at least a little bit coming from Europe or, or the Iberian Peninsula or something like that, just my hunch. Um, but if you had it from even from Iberian Peninsula, you probably have a relative, or even not, even if not, you probably have another relative that's in the gene pool as you, but has another gene pool extending out to some of the genes that I share. And somehow, some way, we have in some line of this massive family tree we call humanity, we are related somehow, some way. And I, I remember hearing genealogists said that um, the most distant person to us in the planet is our 50th cousin. And so with all this in mind, I just thought, like, you know what, we're really all family. And if everyone just had that kind of lens, if they were wearing the glasses that when they looked through those glasses, they saw everybody as a relative, whether it's like 50th cousin distance or, you know, up to first cousin. I think everyone knows their first cousins. But yeah. um, it's like, how would people treat each other? And that was my real thing. It's like, how do we treat each other? How do we think of each other? I'm like, if you, when we, when we think about how we generally treat our family, it's like, you generally, like, even if you're mad at them about something, it's like, there's, there's a certain level of love and respect that's, that's unparalleled. So I just, my, my, my real intention behind it was to expand that level of love and respect so it, it influences a bigger circle and that bigger circle literally being all of humanity. So I got my DNA test and, and that's, I, I decided to wear, some sort of costume or outfit that was resemblant of that area, whether not, not being like, not really focusing on it being having to be modern day. So some of the things I just tried to make it look like it was just very, very much like had an ancestral feeling to it in terms of the outfit. And that video has now, uh, it was re, it was directly uploaded by another page and, and shared. I think if you combine the view counts, it's kind of close to 2 million. And then the, the one I did with my grandpa, um, I mean, he named me this. He, he knew this before I did, before I was born. He, he puts a message out there saying humanity is our family and humanity is my family. And he, he put humanity is my family in all the six languages that he learned in jail. That's what I thought was really special about it. Um, that video has, on my page close to like 2.3 million views and it was shared somewhere else where it's i think like at, at least over half a million close to a million so you could if you count out the the, the big number in the end it's like about five million views wow. collectively of these two videos man and yeah i'm definitely going to make sure i get the links from music but then show notes but those videos you all should check them out they're really really um great you know short stories of, of just what it means to be a human today. And, and uh, I think it's a great reminder in today's, uh, today's climate. So, um, I, I love, I love, uh, I love what you've done and I love your heart and I love your philosophical mindset. Um, I'm going to make sure I put links to the show notes, uh, links to your book and, uh, interviews to your dad, your granddad, as well as the videos in the show notes. But before we let you go, I ask all my guests this question how they use their differences to make a difference. So, you know, you know my mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So yep. how do you use your difference to make a difference? Totally. My di the way I'm using my difference to make a difference, I see it can be expanded in many different ways. I mean, I, I live with the motto of I'm going to be 100% me, mm. period. There's no negotiations, no 99%. Um, but really, the way that I'm using my difference to make a difference right now is to get this story out of my lineage ultimately to, I just want to read to you what I put for my bio on, on my book, just to show you the, the bigger intention, a bigger intention behind this book, a bigger reason of how I want to use 
the way I grew up to uh, to inspire change in the world. And I wrote, it says, Adam Sadiq is the grandson of Khalid Sadiq. Adam wrote Shackled alongside his grandfather, Khalid, a shared journey they hope will inspire others to become more involved in the sacred bond between the youth and their elders. I feel like, you know, I was raised by my grandparents most of the time growing up. Uh, I, I spent an enormous amount of time with my grandpa. I lived with him for a year during writing this book. Um, and I just feel like there, there's been a gap um, between the youth and their elders. And I just want to help remind them that there's so much wisdom and so many gifts that be, can, that can be given and received both ways, not just here getting, receiving the wisdom from your grandparents, but also you giving them something that's unique to your generation. We as millennials, we, we are extremely tech savvy for, for many of us. One of the things I'm doing with my grandpa is I'm making a podcast for my grandpa, where it's going to be a hundred percent him and his messages and his episodes and Farsi is his original language. I can do that because I know how to do it. He doesn't know how to navigate it. There's a lot of equipment, you know, it's, um, so I think so. I, I just want to be a, an example that there's tremendous value in connecting with your elders and, and to have fun with the participation of maybe the bigger thing that's being called between, between you both. Wow. That's such a beautiful message to, uh, to share and to, uh, hold close to your heart. So thank you for being unapologetically yourself. Thanks for being an ambassador of humanity. And thank you for this, this beautiful story that you're sharing with us. So, you know, I can't wait to get this episode out, but also share with the rest of the world. Thank you, Ty. It was a great pleasure to be on your show. Pleasure is mine. And ladies and gentlemen, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 